All right, so today we are here in part three of our Advent series. And Christmas Day is seven days from now. Next Sunday will be Christmas Day. And then, like Thomas said, next Saturday will be Christmas Eve. And our service is at 4 p.m. And so on Christmas Eve, we will end the Advent series. We'll do our last sermon in that series on Christmas Eve. But for today, what we are going to do is we are going to talk about how to enjoy the real Christmas. And so the question is, like, just what is the real Christmas. What do you mean, Chip? What do you mean how to enjoy the real Christmas? Because some of you have been enjoying this season for well over a month now, like even before Halloween, and some of you are just dreading it. Yes. Yeah, Alicia, yes. And, and some of you are just kind of dreading it, and you're hoping to just survive it and get through it. But on both sides of, of, of that coin, there is a way that we can enjoy the real Christmas. I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you what the real Christmas is in one Bible verse. Luke chapter 2, verse 7. Speaking of Mary. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available to them. See, when we take away all the decorations and all the busyness of shopping and getting ready and the preparation of Christmas, when we take all of that away, cooking, getting ready to visit family, when all of that is stripped away, this verse to me is what Christmas is all about. The baby in the manger. That's Christmas. You know, and then following this verse is when the angel appears to the shepherds. And he announces that the Messiah has been born, the Savior of the world is here. He's over in Bethlehem. Go see him. But then prior to Jesus' birth, the angel Gabriel visits Mary to tell her what is about to happen. And he says this in Luke chapter 1. For you, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Now, Mind you, Mary is a teenager right now, and she's a virgin. She is going to conceive a child from the Holy Spirit. That's kind of weird, right? But you shall name him Jesus. You have found favor with God. And Jesus means salvation. It means deliver. It means rescue. That's the, the character traits that are wrapped up in the name Jesus. It means that God wants to deliver us. He wants to rescue us from the worst parts of life to the best life has to offer. Now, the interesting thing about Jesus, though, is that 700 years prior to his birth, he was prophesied about by the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah, whether or not he actually knew what he was prophesying, gave Jesus several names, four different names he gave him when he announced this prophecy of the arrival of the Messiah. And he says this in Isaiah chapter 9, 
For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Those are some of the names that Jesus carries with him. Mighty God. We're going to kind of dial in on that one today. We'll look at Everlasting Father for a little bit. But I was just thinking we could actually make an Advent series out of those four names and kind of look into what those mean to us. But Mighty God, when I think of the word Mighty God, the first thing that I think of is power. The greatest power that's ever come to this, the greatest power that's ever been in this world came to earth in the form of a baby in a manger. The greatest power ever. And the source of that power wants to help us overcome the toughest battles we will ever face. The source of that power wants to go through life with us. And so I want to read a passage from Ephesians chapter 3. And we'll start in verse 16. Now this is the Apostle Paul, and he's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus. And the entire chapter 3, it's titled, God's Mysterious Plan Revealed. So it's all about God's redemption for mankind, and, and some of this mystery that's wrapped up in all of that. And then he says, he starts in verse 14, he says, When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father. And then in verse 16, he says this, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to, to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Our, we, the love of Christ is too great for us to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power to work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. That's theology right there. That's, that's deep. This passage should give us hope that with Jesus we can overcome anything that we will face in life. Jesus making his home with us, becoming friends with us, counseling us as we lean into his wisdom. And that counsel and that wisdom will help us grow strong in his love and wisdom. Being made complete in the love and power that comes from trusting in Jesus gives us hope that we no longer look at a situation wondering, how am I going to get through this? See, we have Jesus with us now. We're not going through life alone. We now look at every situation 
asking Jesus to give us the wisdom and the strength because we know that we are no longer doing life alone. See, even when we can't feel Jesus or can't sense Jesus or don't think Jesus is there with us, he is. And that's what the scriptures need to be with, need, need, uh, that's what the scriptures are for. See, our emotions and our feelings aren't what we can rely on. But the, the facts and the truth that are in God's word is what we need to kind of dive into and lean on and trust on when we think it's just us. Because we, after putting, Jesus, putting our trust in Jesus, inviting Jesus into our lives, we are now doing life with the wonderful counselor. We are doing life with the mighty God that we trust in. We are doing life with Jesus. And when we are deeply rooted in that kind of a relationship with Jesus, we begin to experience his glory in our lives. And then that glory then flows into us and out of us to those around us. In Romans chapter 8, it says this, speaking of God, God speaking of us. And having chosen them, us, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. This is about us. God chooses us. And I know it sounds kind of weird because like, what, are there people out there that God doesn't choose? No, absolutely not. God chases after us relentlessly and gives us every opportunity to invite him into our lives. See, the thing about God is he doesn't force himself on us, but he's constantly chasing after us. So that his unfailing, his unconditional love can now become a part of our lives, can now become something that we can experience. And then he will give us his glory. See, if he forced himself on us and made us love him, it wouldn't be an unconditional relationship. But most of us get to a point in our lives where we realize that we need a savior. And, and some of us, though, we never got to that point because we never left Jesus. We were raised in, in a household that believed in Jesus. We believed in him, and we never strayed from him. Those are the best testimonies. If you think about it, when it comes to testimonies, we often like those powerful ones, right, where somebody fell away and they had this very dark life, and then they came to Jesus, and we're like, wow, that's great. Mine's not like that. But when you never strayed from Jesus, guess who you never gave somebody a reason to worry about? You. God never had to worry about you. He didn't have to chase after you as much as he did some others. So really, like, like oftentimes they're like, my testimony is not that powerful. Yes, it is. Because it's your story. So anyways, but God chases after us, right, relentlessly. Constantly trying to get our attention. And then, and then, when we realize it, we call upon him. 
And the moment we do, the moment we invite Jesus into our lives, we are now in right standing with God. Even if we don't have all that stuff figured out yet and we're not and we're still doing things maybe we shouldn't be doing, God says, you put your faith in my son, you are now in right standing with me. I love you. I've been waiting for this moment. And as we stay rooted in him, connected to him, we then begin to experience his glory. He gives us his glory. And so what do I mean by his glory? Well, an example of that can be found in the story of the Israelites. You know, the Israelites were, were held in captivity by the Egyptians. They were slaves to the Egyptians for hundreds of years. And then finally God says to this man named Moses, I'm choosing you to lead my people out from under the oppression of the Egyptians. And then at the right time, it happened. But see, often in that moment, though, God was, was these plagues came upon the Egyptians. We've heard of the ten plagues of Egypt. And, and, and oftentimes, like I once thought that was God flexing his muscle, making the Egyptians know that, that he, was, he could do whatever. But really, did you know what he was doing was, he was defeating every god the Egyptians worshipped. And the kings, the pharaohs, believed that their firstborn sons became gods. They believed they became gods. And that's why the last plague was the worst of them all. But God was saying, listen, you don't become gods. And all these gods, lowercase g's, that you worship will not offer you what I offer you. And so then he leads the, the Israelites out from, he says, all right, Moses, today's the day. Tonight's the night. Over two million people, Israelites, left Egypt. And then Moses, and then God parts the Red Sea. And the, and the Israelites pass through on dry land. But here come the Egyptians bearing down on them. And as the Israelites come out, the Egyptians come in, the waters closed in. And God defeated the enemies. That's some glory, right? That's some power. But then what happened was God's presence went before them as a pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. That is glory. That's power. That's something that I could never, like, what did that look like? How big was that? How big was that, you know? And when speaking of the, of the Red Sea experience, Moses wrote this, this song in, in uh, the book of Exodus, chapter 15, and it's called A Song of Deliverance. But in that song, starting in verse 11, he writes this. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Because God Almighty just, just defeated all these gods the Egyptians worshipped. Who is like you among all of them? Glorious in holiness, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders. You raised your right hand and the earth swallowed our enemies. With your unfailing love, you lead the people you have redeemed. In your might, you guide them to your sacred home. That is speaking of God's glory. Because those of us that have put our trust in Jesus, we have been redeemed. And so out of God's unfailing love in that redemption, he leads us through life. And then that sacred home in heaven. 
But how many of us can honestly say, like honestly say, thank you, God, for leading me with your unfailing love? Because sometimes life is rough, and we wonder where God is, and we get a little jaded, and our hearts get a little hardened, and we forget where God is in all that. Can we honestly say, thank you, God, for leading me through life with your unfailing love? Because as a follower of Jesus, we have been redeemed, and we have experienced that glorious power of God. Some of the things that, that God has changed in our lives, none of us could have done on our own. That's power. That's glory that we experience. God's glory is experienced when he does something in our lives, no matter how big or how small. And God's glory is around us at all times. He surrounds us as a shield. He goes before us. As followers of Jesus, he goes into every business meeting before us. He stays, I believe, he stays in every room after we leave. His glory just kind of hangs out for a minute. It's around us at all times. But here's the thing, church. It's easy to miss if we're not looking for it. The busyness of life will often overshadow God's glory in our lives. And often... During the holidays, isn't it true that we miss out on the important moments because we get so focused on the smaller distractions? The cookies have to be just right. The, the, the ham has to be just right. The turkey's got to, everything's got, the presents, the tree, the decorations, the fixings. And in that, we often lose sight of the bigger picture. It's the same with God's glory. Distractions will keep us from seeing where God is at at all times. When I have things that are happening in my life, now I always make sure at the end of the day, number one, to thank God, even if I don't feel like there's anything to be thankful for. And number two, to ask him for help to ask him for wisdom, to ask him for guidance. God, I don't sense your presence, but can I sense it tomorrow? Can you help me see where you are at in the day? I promise you, it's, I promise you, I'll tell you what, you'll wake up better. You'll wake up with a better outlook. Sometimes while you're sleeping, God devises a plan and you wake up and it's in your head. But listen to this, Psalm 19, what the writer writes. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. The writer is speaking of God. You know, when I was, my spiritual journey on the way to putting my faith in Jesus, I started getting caught up in, in nature and, and in astronomy, astronomy. The heavens, the stars, all of that. I was fascinated by it. And we lived in an area where, where there wasn't a whole lot of city light, so, so I could see it. And, and I remember, in, does anybody remember in, in November of 2001, where the Leonids meteor showers were? Did anybody watch those? 
in the middle of the night, it was like fireworks all across the sky. Just meteors just flying everywhere. It was nuts, but it was so silent because nobody else was out. From like 3 a.m. to 5 a.m., I was out there watching it. It was, it was just, I've never seen anything like it. And that's what this is talking about. You know, I oversee the Brazil mission trip, so I'll, I'll be the one running this meeting. But when you are in the Amazon, which is where we, we, we live, in the middle of nowhere, like, it's dark at nighttime. Like, when I say you need to bring a flashlight, I mean you need to bring a flashlight because the darkness will soak up the light. But at nighttime, when you look out from, from the boat that we live on, this, you don't see stars like that ever. And that, to me, is the craftsmanship of God. He's the one that placed all of that stuff there. He's the one that places everything around us that we see in nature, in the world, in the cosmos, all of that. He's the one who became the baby in the manger wrapped in human flesh. The creator, the deliverer, the rescuer, the sustainer of all things, our salvation, Jesus. He's the one that is the mighty God, the power of it all. See, it is so important that we take moments of time, especially this time of year, to recognize who Jesus is to us. In Hebrews chapter 1, the writer says this about Jesus. The Son of God. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. See, before we even put our faith in Jesus, he already cleansed us of our sins. We just have to accept that. It's already been taken care of on the cross. We just have to accept it. But this, this verse right here, this is God's glory. This is the real Christmas. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. He sustains everything. When you hear those, when you hear those, those, those reports that there's an asteroid heading towards heaven and scientists are keeping an eye on it, we're not too sure what's going to happen. God sustains everything. Everything is under his control. I find it interesting that people often say that to be a Christian, to, to believe in the Bible, to put your faith in Jesus, you have to be pretty narrow-minded. Don't you think it's just the opposite? Like, like just, just track with me here for a minute, right? We believe that the Son of God came to the earth in the form of a baby, birthed from a virgin, in a manger, and three wise men came to visit because they followed this star, like, I think you have to be a little more open-minded. 
Because when you say it like that, right? We have to be a little more open-minded to believe that the God of the universe would come to earth in the form of a baby to redeem mankind from their sinful nature. First of all, why do I need to be redeemed? I'm a good person. Well, when you realize that you can't do life on your own, you reach for something bigger than yourself, right? Which is a savior. See, to follow Jesus is challenging. When you read the scriptures, you are challenged. You're challenged in the way you live. You're challenged in the things that you do. It's challenging. It makes you a better person. It often makes you a better person to be around. Ask some of your family or your coworkers. <laughs> you become a better person. And not only that, but you have somebody to go through life with you that is the sustainer of all things. And also, we believe in a God who dwells in the supernatural realm. So like as followers of Jesus, we have one foot in the natural world and one foot in the supernatural world. Like we live in the natural and the supernatural, right? How's that for narrow-minded? You can't be narrow-minded and live that way. You got to be open to some things. You got to be open to where God operates because he operates in the supernatural, but it collides with our natural. It's challenging. Following Jesus causes us to have a bigger perspective on life. And eventually that perspective leads to hope. And we may have things that we're facing and we may think that this is too big for me to overcome. I can't handle this on my own. But nothing is too big for Jesus. Nothing is impossible for God. That's what the angel Gabriel told Mary. Well, nothing is impossible with God. How can this be, she said. Nothing is impossible with God. And this is the reality of the Christmas story and what God wants to do for us. We can put our hope in a lot of things, right? The lottery, scratch-offs, money, the stock market, the economy, our career, politics, what else? Relationships, people. We can put our, we can put our, we can put our hope in a lot of things, but all of those things that I just named have their ups and downs. They're all conditional. They all rely on something to keep them going up. But it, but it never lasts, right? Talk to somebody who, who works in the stock markets because they always tell you that whatever comes up, whatever goes up is going to come down. It's up and down. But when we put our hope in Jesus, it's stable. It's solid. It's eternal. The hope of the everlasting Father can be seen in the manger. And he's the good news that brings great joy to all people. I'm going to read a, another passage in um, Romans chapter 5. Verse 1. 
here, and here it is again. Look. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we can confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us deliver endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. This is how we can enjoy the real Christmas. Putting our faith in Jesus makes us right with God. We don't have to have everything figured out. Just inviting him into your life, and then suddenly you're made right with God now. God looks at you and says, you and I now. And we have peace because of all that Jesus did for us on the cross. Not only peace, but we now stand in a place of undeserved privilege. Let that sink in for a minute. Undeserved privilege. Jesus' followers stand in a place of undeserved privilege where we get to share in God's glory. Sometimes I don't think we understand the, the weight of what that means. Not only that, but God will see us through every problem, every trial, every situation that we will face. And if we're being honest, how many of us would rather run from some of those problems, run from some of those trials, run from some of those things we don't want to be facing? But God says, instead of running from them or dealing with them in your own strength, how about I help you? How about I help you? And not only will I help you, he says, but I will develop strength and endurance in your character so that you and I, not just you, but you and I will be ready to face the next challenge when it comes across your path. That sounds like a good deal to me. And that is what the real Christmas offers those who put their faith in Jesus. You no longer go through life alone. You no longer deal with stress alone. When it comes to God himself, when it is God himself who sees us through every difficult situation, the hope of our salvation does not lead to disappointment. We won't be disappointed. In fact, it shows us how much God loves us. And that love we feel welling up inside of us is God's Holy Spirit filling our hearts with his glorious love and hope. And so I'll bring it home with this. We'll close with this. This Christmas season, where do you need to trust God?
What is it that you're trying to do on your own? Where do you need to trust God this Christmas season? Where do you need to allow God room to move so you can experience his power and glory? Because here's the thing, church. I I believe. I believe that there's moments of time where God wants to uh, deposit things into our lives and, and do things for us. And, and, and Christmas is all about giving and receiving, right? Gifts. But I believe as a gift to you, God wants to help build endurance and strength in your character so that you can experience the hope of your salvation in a new light, in a way you've never experienced it before. I honestly believe that by the time we leave today, for those of you that say, I could use that, you're going to experience that. Hope is a gift God gives freely from out from his unfailing love. It's unconditional. There's no strings attached. It's because he wants the best for us. Jesus left heaven to come to this earth in the lowliest of ways, born in a manger, so that he could reveal to mankind the kingdom of God, the love of God. And today, he wants to pour that into you. It's all yours for the taking. It's ours for the taking. But you must be willing to let go and let God do the leading. That, that kind of is the catch. You have to let him lead you. Like I often use, use the phrase like this, I am looking where God is at and I'm going to follow him. I'm going to get out of his way so that he can lead me through this situation. And oftentimes when we do that, because it takes patience, but we will see where he's at and we'll follow his lead. And when we do that, we allow Jesus to bring the gift of hope. And we will allow him to do that this Christmas season by putting our trust in him. Amen? Let's pray. Well, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for what you've done for us and what you do for us. And I just want to pray right now that that as we get ready to move into a time of worship, that, that you, Lord Jesus, we just invite your presence into this room, that you would flow through this room those who need your hope, the hope of their salvation to be experienced in a new light. God, that you would speak to them right now. That they would experience the mighty God that they believe in, the wonderful counselor that you are, the prince of peace, the everlasting father, in a way that they've never experienced you before, God. The day that we chose to represent your birth is seven days from today. 
I pray, Lord Jesus, that the greatest gift somebody can receive is your glory, your presence in their lives right now. You know what? I, I, I see right now, I see some of you during worship in the spirit realm, it's going to be like opening up a gift. And God wants to give you something, whether it's hope, peace, wisdom, some insight. I actually believe that some of you will, will see the light at the end of the tunnel. I believe that some of you will have some answers to things you're dealing with. And so what I want to do is I just want to encourage you to be open to that as we head into a time of worship. And then when we go into some ministry time, we'll see if God addresses that. And we'll press into that a little bit more. So Jesus, I thank you for what you are about to do in this room today. And we pray this in your precious name. Amen.